0: Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. You ever wonder why when it comes to prayer, some people really seem to have it and some people really seem to not have it. Some of us feel like there's something missing in our prayer life. Elijah was a prayer warrior and let's see if there are some things we can learn from Elijah to kick our prayer life up to the next level. This is our third week looking at the life of Elijah and just kind of getting an overview on who he was and what his ministry was. We're kind of doing it as a spinoff of our series on Jesus in Mark. We're just kind of taking a pause and we're looking at Elijah because he's a key figure. He's an important figure. He's one of the most important figures in all of the Old Testament. His ministry was super influential and uh, the Jewish people regard him as their greatest prophet. And so we've been kind of looking and seeing what his life was really all about. You know, he, uh, let's just look at a few things he did. He spoke the drought into existence. He stepped up. And he said, you've been praying to uh, the rain, God, begging for rain. Let me tell you who can stop the rain altogether. My God is more powerful. So he spoke, and a a three-and-a-half-year-long drought began. He did miracles there in the town of Zarephath, Uh, lots of miracles that God used him to do, including the very first ever raising of a dead person. Yeah, he is the one that raised that widow's dead young boy to life. He spoke the word of God to his nation, and he called out uh, the the evil king Ahab and their demon god worship, worshiping the Baals and the Asherahs. He called them out doing that, and he alone faced down eight hundred and fifty of the evil demon god prophets, and he won that showdown. So there's still a lot more in Elijah's life, but good grief, isn't this enough? I mean. Can you see why Elijah is considered a powerful prophet? Elijah's whole purpose was to show that God alone is God. That all these other gods, all these other idolatrous demon gods that the people were bowing to were nothing but fake gods and his desire was to lead his people to worship the one true God and him alone. That's what Elijah was all about, and he was able to do that. He was able to have this incredible ministry because of one simple key fact that we're gonna look at today. The first blank on your page is this. Elijah was a prayer warrior first. More than anything, Elijah was a prayer warrior. His prayers were powerful. His prayer life was extraordinary. Literally, his prayers set the world on fire multiple different times. And we see this power, sorry, we see this pattern throughout all of Scripture that powerful prayers lead to powerful miracles. Amen? Amen. I mean, we see that happening over and over again all through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament. It's powerful prayers that lead to powerful miracles. Boy, I think we would all love to see some powerful miracles in our lives. Am I right? I mean, I know as we're getting close to the end of the year now, I know. I know that you got a lot on you. Your your schedule is busy. You know, things are going crazy. You got a long Christmas list, people you got to shop for. There's more gifts you need to buy than money that you have, right? Uh, there's crazy schedules, and you got you to gotta interact with maybe some lost relatives that you've had heavy on your heart, you've been praying for. You just want to see God do a miracle. Maybe for some of us, we're concerned that this will be the last Christmas that we get to spend with a loved one. And we'd love to see a powerful miracle take place. And so if it's true, if it's true that powerful miracles come through powerful prayer, we should pray like Elijah. But here's what's up with us in our prayer life. Um, we, we, don't, we don't, none of us, we don't pray like Elijah. I mean, let's just be honest. For all of us, I think prayer can be disorienting i mean it's kind of not even natural you know i mean think about it when we gather together you know as a as a group of people where else other than the church where else do people gather together and they're talking and laughing and eating and whatever they're doing and then at some point someone says okay let's pray and everybody stops what they're doing and bows their head closes their eyes and starts talking to somebody you can't see right? I mean, it can be disorienting. It can seem weird, and we get intimidated by it, right? I mean, we, we hear the stories in Scripture of these people with these powerful, powerful prayer lives, but then we look at our life, and we're like, I don't think I can live up to that. I don't think I got that going on. I don't really get it with this whole prayer thing. I've heard of people I know, and they pray for hours, I pray for, you know, five minutes and I'm out of stuff to say. and By seven minutes, I've fallen good and asleep, right? I mean, I don't get it. I don't know how it works. Prayer is disorienting. Prayer is confusing to me. Prayer is boring. You know, uh, people pray for hours. I don't even think I can pray more than two or three sentences, Right? I mean, we usually don't feel up to the task, and we certainly don't want to be the one asked to pray out loud in the group. Right? Because I, I don't know what words to say. You know, so prayer can seem like it's something that's just not our thing. You know, it's not, I'm just not up to that level. But look at this. Look at what James, the brother of Jesus, writes about prayer he's talking about Elijah in this passage and he's talking about prayer in this passage and look at what he says in James 5 17 he says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years it did not rain on the earth then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit You see that James is saying that, you know, Elijah had a powerful prayer life, powerful prayer life. I mean, he was able to pray a drought into existence and then pray it away later on. And we're going to be looking at Elijah's prayer life a little bit today with one example other than this of of how he prayed. So Elijah was this incredible prayer warrior, but look at what James says. Before he talks about how powerful Elijah's prayer was, he says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. This is James' way of saying, Elijah was just a guy. He was just a guy. He was, he was like you. He was like me. I mean, he was just a guy who learned how to pray. He was just a guy that had been through the Kareth Valley with God and had been through some difficult difficult struggles in his life and God showed him how to pray he learned how to pray over a period of time so he's just like me and you there's nothing you know supernatural divine about Elijah he's just a guy yet his prayer life rocked he prayed and things changed He prayed and God answered. So let me ask you this question. This is my question for today. What if you and I could pray like Elijah? How would your life change if you could pray powerful miracles in your family's life? If you could pray powerful miracles for your future? for your career, for your retirement. If you could pray powerful prayers for that sickness, for that lost relative, how could your life be different if you could pray like Elijah? So today, what I want to do is I want to see what we can learn from Elijah's prayers. We're going to look at an example, the next part of Elijah's story. We're going to look at how he prayed because Elijah was just a guy, and he learned to pray. And I think we can learn to pray like him. Now, I just want to give you the heads up. This is a 20-minute overview of specifically how Elijah prayed. So if I wanted to spend time, you know, really seeking God, learning to pray, uh, it's going to take longer than 20 minutes. It's going to be a discipline, a practice, over a long period of time. But I do think there are just some key ideas that we can pick up from Elijah, and that's what we're going to study today. Is that cool? I was looking back on my notes from last year. Last year, I did a whole, this is 2022, It's about to be 2024 in just a minute. In 2022, I did a whole big, long year of talking about standing, and I talked a lot in the earlier part about learning to pray, learning to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and be connected to Him. I highly recommend you go back and check that if you want to learn to pray, but today we're going to just look at the overview of this next step in Elijah's story and see what we can learn from Elijah's prayer life. So just to kind of bring you up to date, know where we are in the story. Elijah's culture was crumbling all around him, right? Everything was falling apart. His nation was crumbling because they had fallen into sin. They had been a godly nation, strong, powerful, provided for, protected by God. But then they drifted into all of this demon God worship, worshiping the Baals and the Asherahs. And so as they fell away from God and went farther and farther down that road, they just spiraled worse and worse and worse out of control. Sound familiar? Hello? So uh, they were worshiping the Baals and the Asherahs. They were chasing the demon gods of rain and fertility. But God called Elijah to speak truth to power, to show up in front of the king and say, you think you're going to get the rain answer from the Baal? Let me tell you who really controls the rain. I serve the real God. I serve the one that controls the rain. So you keep begging your Baal for rain, but my God's not going to let it happen. And sure enough, this long drought happens this drought that increases the intensity level of the pain and the suffering of God's people. I mean, God is turning the pain up to 11 on the dial for them so that they will realize we are way down the wrong road. We need to go back to God. But that doesn't happen. They keep persisting down the wrong road. They keep praying to the Baals, the Asherahs, and they keep not turning back to their covenant with the one true God, and the drought was just devastating to everyone. And so ultimately, there had to be a showdown. There had to be a a once and for all showdown between Baal, Asherah on one side, and God on the other side. So Elijah, representing God, faces all of the 850 prophets of the demon gods alone it's the fire challenge you build an altar and i'll build an altar and we'll offer sacrifice and we'll see which god can rain the fire down and what kind of answer did they get from baal nothing silence nothing at all nothing happened until elijah prayed And asked God to send the fire, and sure enough, the fire came down, and the prophets of Baal were soundly defeated. They were taken away and killed because they were determined to have been false prophets. So, this is where we are in the story. Elijah has just won this great victory, this great victory proving once and for all that Yahweh alone is the true God. But there's still a problem, still no rain. God has proven that he's God, but the drought still persists, and great, God is God, but we still don't have any rain, and so the only thing left is for God to send the rain, and that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings 18:41. As soon as the victory's been won, Elijah says to Ahab, you go get something to eat and drink, And look at this statement he makes. For I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Here is Elijah who spoke the drought into existence three and a half years earlier, and now he's making this bold declaration that there is a rainstorm coming. Look at the boldness of Elijah to speak the answer to the question where's the rain and you'll notice Elijah hasn't even prayed about the rain yet the very next thing he does he goes up on the mountain he starts praying so he declares God's answer before the question is even asked dude this is bold faith It's someone so in tune with the heart of God, so disciplined in their prayer life, so clued into who God is, what he wants, and what he's doing, that you can boldly declare the answer before you even pray about it. Dude, that's incredible, outlandish, daring boldness. I think the first thing we can learn uh, is the next blank on your page. Effective prayers are bold. Effective prayers are bold prayers. Elijah had developed such a close relationship with God that he knew what God was thinking. He knew what God was planning. And so he knew what God was about to do next. I hear the rainstorm coming. The thing about Elijah's statement is, you notice he makes this, and the sky is still clear. I've stood there on that very spot where Elijah prayed. I've stood on the top of Mount Carmel, and you can look off in the distance, and you can see the Mediterranean Sea. You know, you can see, you can see the water off in the distance, and the day, the last day I was there, Jeff, you were there with me. The last day I was there, the sky was deep blue and not a cloud in the sky, just like on that day. Not a cloud as far as the eye can see. Yet he says, I hear a rainstorm coming. Do you think he actually heard it? I mean, do you think he actually heard rain coming from far, far away? I don't think so. I think he was just that bold and that faithful and that tuned into God that he declared that God was about to answer even before he prayed. Effective prayers are bold prayers. It was like Elijah had read that verse that the author of Hebrews wrote. In Hebrews 11, he said, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is believing that God is going to work even though you haven't seen it happen yet. Faith is trusting that God has a plan and that his plan is always better than my plan. Amen? Faith is knowing that things may look really bad now. They may look really dry and brittle now. There may not be enough. We may not be able to provide for everyone, everything. There may be people suffering and even dying, but God's got a plan, and He always comes through with His promises. It's trusting in Him. So, The Bible doesn't tell us what Elijah prayed. He goes up next. We're going to look at him going up next. We're going to look at him praying, but it doesn't tell us what he prayed. We don't have any narration. We do on an earlier prayer, right? In 1 Kings 18, we saw this earlier. He's praying right there in front of the altar, and he says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant. You prove that I've done all this at your command. Oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. He's, he's praying a very simple, direct, clear prayer. So I don't know what he prayed for when he went up on Mount Carmel exactly. I mean, I don't know exactly how he prayed, but I know what he prayed. What's he praying for on that mountain? Rain, Rain. send the rain, Lord, send the rain. It's time for the drought to be over. You've proven yourself clearly time and time again. Now please God, send the rain. I believe that Elijah, what we always saw in the past and what we don't see here but we believe happened is that Elijah prayed specifically. He was real specific about what he wanted. He didn't hem and haw and beat around the bush with God. You never see Elijah's prayers with all the flowery language and verily, verily, I sayeth unto thee and, you know, all the stuff. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day. That's what we always start praying. You know, he doesn't do all that. He just gets right down to business and he prays. And he's direct and he's clear with God. The old saying is this. God answers specific prayers specifically you hear me God answers specific prayers specifically the New Testament says you come before the Lord and you lay your request before him and he'll hear you and respond simple direct so when I go to my favorite breakfast restaurant I always order an omelet now I'll say this I don't eat breakfast a whole lot but when I go there I like to order an omelet how many omelet people we got here, anybody? Yeah, I love the omelets, love the, so you go and, and, there's, and there's this list you know, in the menu of all the specific kinds of omelets. You can get the ham and cheese omelet, you, know, you can get the veggie omelet, you can get all the different ones, You know they're specific. Um, but I order the least specific one on the menu and uh, it's not specific, it's just called the trash can omelet. <laughs> Do you know what the trash can omelet is? it's yeah it's the most wonderful gift from God ever <laughs> it's where they just take whatever they got they've ever chopped it up and got it ready whatever you got and just put it in the omelet as if you were dumping things into a trash can just all the stuff put it in the omelet and cook it right up and it is awesome it's an awesome awesome thing the trash can omelet it's a little of everything um, so many times our prayers are kind of trash can prayers you know, so many times we just kind of take a little of everything and we dump it. in. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a place for trash can prayers. I don't mean to make it sound bad because the trash can omelet is awesome. Um, you know, Sunday or sorry, Monday morning, our staff meeting, we do a trash can prayer. So we get all of our prayer requests that you submit to us, and we divide them up among the staff in the room. And we go through and we pray individually for all of those prayer requests. By name, specifically, we agree with you in prayer in those things. And then after we've had some time to do that, um, we kind of get through those. Then I ask the question, okay, which ones of these are really on your heart? Which ones of these have, has God laid on your heart this morning? And then, you know, there's one here, there's two or three there, there's one here. Um, and so we name a few, write them down, and then together as a group, we pray corporately for these specific ones of your prayer requests that God lays in our heart. We don't, we don't pray for the future of the church. We don't pray for you know, God to give direction or anything. We don't pray for anything but your prayer requests during that first hour together on Monday mornings. We just kinda do a kind of a trash can prayer. And it's good, I mean, it's good. There's room for trash can prayers. I believe God answers trash can prayers, but I believe God answers specific prayers specifically. And so I think about, you know, Paul, when he prays, you know, I, I think about the times that he prays, my two favorite times that Paul prays, we see a bunch of them in the New Testament, but, you know, he, he writes about two times that he prayed. One of them I can think of is when he had that ongoing issue, that thorn in the flesh. We don't really know what it was. It was some ailment, some sickness, a lot of speculation about what it could have been, but it was given him all kinds of pain it was so bad so ongoing that Satan actually spoke to him through it that Satan tried to drag him down because of this pain that he had and he goes back to God over and over and over again and he says God please heal me he has three specific seasons of prayer specifically praying about this anguish that he's going through and you know how God responds to him he answers no I'm not going to heal you of that. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. This suffering will just help you realize your need for me even more. And God used that ongoing pain in Paul's life. But he prayed specifically and got a specific answer. I think about another time where Paul writes about his prayer life. He's um, writing about all of the blessings of the grace that you and I have in Christ Jesus. And he's writing about God's plan and his future and his direction for you because you're in Christ. And then Paul just kind of stops all of a sudden in the middle of his long dissertation about all of the blessings of Christ. And he says, when I think of these things, I fall to my knees, and I thank God for what he's done for me and for you. I mean, he gets real specific about his prayer life, about what he's praying for. And I believe that God answers specific prayers specifically. So when you're praying, pray bold, specific prayer. Pray against that cancer. Pray for that lost relative. Pray for your broken relationships. Pray for that life-critical decision that you have coming up. Pray specifically, and don't be afraid to keep going back to God over and over and over again because God answers specific prayer specifically. Can I get an amen? amen? And look at this. Elijah has a clear prayer posture also. Here's what happens. So he tells King Ahab, I hear the rainstorm coming. And then the very end, to pray. It says, he climbed up to the top of Mount Carmel, and look at this. He bowed low to the ground. He didn't stand, he didn't meander, he didn't wander, he didn't sit. He bowed low to the ground. He got to the ground, and he got so low down that he placed his face all the way down between his knees. The older I get, the worse that sounds. <laughs> that you've heard the term, we bring the sacrifice of prayer. It's the getting back up uh, from that. That's the sacrifice, right? Uh, yeah. So he prays. He has this prayer posture. He kneels. He prays with his face between his knees. He he bows as far as low to the ground as he possibly can, and he prays before God with his face between his knees. He's bold before men but he's humble before God this is so key bold before men but humble before God I've listened to people pray in the past and sometimes I listen to people pray and the way they boss God around and tell him what he's gonna do I wonder who the heck do you think you're talking to seriously who do you think you're talking to are you talking to your boy are you talking to your employee are you talking to your servant in your house he prays elijah prays humbly before god i, I think these people that pray these you know boss got around prayers you've heard them have you heard them yeah, these people that pray these boss God around prayers, I think they base their prayer life kind of on this idea that they think they read in Hebrews chapter four. Let's look at this real quick. Hebrews four sixteen. Says this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. And I think what happens is people really misread this verse, and they think that what it's saying is you come boldly and then you can get what you want. You be bold before God and you get what you want. I would invite you all to read this verse clearly and read it knowing this key word that's found right here, key word that's found right here that ought to bring this whole verse to a better light for us. This key word is the word so. You know, the preachers always say when you are looking in scripture and you see a therefore, you gotta back up a few verses to see what it's therefore, right? And this so is kind of the same as a therefore. In other words, because of something I've just told you, Now let's do this. So in order to understand this, we really got to understand the couple of verses before this. So let's back it up. And so here we go. This is Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 right here. And this is that same verse, 16, right here. See, there's the so. So it's 16 here. And let's see what the whole complete thought is so we can understand this in light of how we ought to be praying, pushing God around. So here's what it says. Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven... That's Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So because of that, because of our great high priest, because it's Jesus, the Son of God, who understands us and passed the test, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we'll receive his mercy and find grace to help when we need it most. Okay. I just want to be real clear what this is truly saying here. First of all, it says that we have this great, Jesus is our great what? He's our great what? High priest. Priest. The nature of a priest, a priest is a mediator between the righteous judge and the guilty. Hello? Because here's the deal about the righteous judge and the guilty. The guilty, that's us, we're so guilty that we can not, that we do not dare approach the throne of the judge, the righteous king. What happens to a traitorous criminal one that has belligerently betrayed the king what happens to that criminal if they dare show their face in his throne room that's it swift and severe you don't dare come before the king if you've just been betraying him and so we have a priest who is a mediator he stands between and he negotiates the deal between the judge and the guilty. And we have this great high priest, Jesus, the son of God, and he understands our weaknesses because he passed the test. He succeeded where we did nothing but fail. He won where we lost. And he passed the test where we did nothing but mess it all up. And so the only possible outcome that we can expect in the throne room before God without the person of Jesus mediating for us is swift and immediate judgment. No due process, no jury, no statute of limitations, just swift, severe punishment. But Jesus acts as our high priest he mediates the deal between us and God he came and he shed his blood for our sins covering our sins and he represents us to his father in the throne room of heaven so we have no merit on our own whatsoever to approach the throne room we are only able to come because of the goodness and the graciousness of our high priest who has sacrificed himself on our behalf. And then when we come boldly, we can come boldly, not because we're boldly ordering God around, but because we know we don't have to fear what we deserve. We don't have to fear judgment from God because we have a high priest. So we can come boldly into his presence, and what are we gonna receive when we get there? More of what we need, mercy, leniency, I know who you are, and I know what you've done, but I love you, and I'm going to accept you into my presence. I want you here with me, and so he'll give us more mercy and more grace. What's grace? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's him giving us what we do not deserve. How dare we tell God what he is and isn't going to do We come boldly because of Jesus and humbly because we don't deserve to be there. Amen? Amen. So, next blank on your page is this. Powerful prayers are humble prayers. Powerful prayers are humble. Elijah is praying, his head down, his face between his knees. And we don't know what he prayed, but I know he's praying for rain. And he's praying, 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 praying on that mountain. And then verse 43 he says to his servant go out and look toward the sea go out and look because surely by now the rain is coming and so the servant goes and he comes back and returns to Elijah he goes I didn't see anything you ever been really discouraged when you pray for something once and then God doesn't do it right then I mean, come on, don't you wish, don't you wish that we had the kind of prayer life to where, mm, God, I need a new truck. Boop, I go back out in the parking lot, there's a new truck. <laughs> oh, and I have the key right here in my pocket. Don't you wish? It doesn't work that way. It didn't even work that way for Elijah. Because what we see is he prays over and over and over again on this mountain. In fact, here's what happens. Seven times, seven times, Elijah told him to go out and look. Seven times, the servant comes back. I didn't see nothing. And so he keeps praying, he keeps praying, he keeps praying. Okay, go, check. Servant goes, comes back. I didn't see nothing. Praying, praying, and praying. Go check. And time after time after time, I know how God's going to answer. I can hear the rain, but it's not here yet. Jesus talks about prayer. He tells parables about prayer. One of the parables he talks about is the neighbor uh, who comes and interrupts his friend's sleeping in the middle of the night. He knocks at the door. I need something, I need something, I need something. And the people inside the house are going, dude, shut up, right? The dad in the house says, look, we're sleeping, everybody's down for the night, go away. He's like, no, I need something, I need something, I need something. And Jesus says, sooner or later, if you keep knocking, the guy's going to get up and give you what you need. He tells another parable uh, about a woman who appears before a judge, and she's begging for a good verdict, begging and begging and begging. The judge is like, no, just mm, leave me alone. Stop bothering me with it. Stop. Just stop. This is just nonsense. Quit. And she keeps begging and begging and begging and begging. She doesn't stop. And finally, the judge says, just to shut you up, I'm going to just grant your favor. I'm going I'm just going to give you what you're asking for. Sometimes God wants us to keep knocking, to keep asking. Sometimes the point isn't getting the answer. Sometimes the point is being with him. Sometimes the point is aligning our heart with his heart and walking closely with him. So he prays, and he keeps telling the servant to go out and look. And then the seventh time finally the seventh time the servant comes back in and he says I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea and can I just observe that that's about the most arbitrary form of measurement I've ever heard (laughs) about the size of a hand is it a hand from the front row or is it the hand from the back row I mean what is it you know um I think we can agree he means a tiny, 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 almost nothing cloud, right? Right. I mean, he looks off in the distance and there's one little tiny, insignificant, tiny little puff. It's almost a dot of a cloud, way off. You know, it doesn't really mean anything. It's been three and a half years since we've seen rain, but we've seen a cloud or two. I mean, it's the ocean after all. I mean, surely there's a cloud. There's a cloud. He sees this one little insignificant nothing. Is it enough to assure the servant that God is answering the prayer for rain? Because it doesn't look like a rain cloud. It looks like a hand. But here's what Elijah does. Elijah shouted. He says, hurry up. Go to Ahab. Tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. God's answer is coming. I've been praying. I knew he was going to answer, and I haven't seen it yet, but look, it's on the horizon. God's answer is on its way because Elijah prayed and prayed and prayed. Next blank on your page. Earnest prayers are persistent. Earnest prayers are persistent. He keeps praying and praying. Don't be scared to keep praying. God heard you the first time. He hears you the second time. But like a loving father with his children, he wants to keep hearing them. He wants them to keep coming back. He wants that child to come and love on him and say, I'm, I'm just here because I want to communicate and to commune with you. Earnest prayers are persistent. In verse 40, 45, soon the sky was black with clouds and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. God answered the prayer of righteous Elijah. But remember, Elijah is a guy, just like me and you. But his prayer life was powerful and effective. I know, I know, we can read this and we can say amen and we can write down our notes and we can think, yeah, Elijah prayed in amazing, amazing ways, but... You know, I just don't think my prayer life is up to that. I don't think I got that going on. I don't think I can do that. Remember James? James is the one that said that Elijah was just a guy. He had a nature like me and you. He also says this about Elijah and about me and you in James 5, 16. He says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You see that? The great, sorry, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. Maybe right now you're reading this verse and you're like going, well, there's my problem. Maybe I'm not righteous enough. You know, maybe I sin too much. Maybe I neglect him too much. Maybe I neglect my family too much. Maybe I don't memorize enough verses or I don't go to church enough times. Maybe you don't go to church enough times. Um, maybe I just don't, don't have it all together, you know, like that. I'm just a guy, but I'm not righteous. And I just want to lend my voice to your thought and say, amen. You don't have it in you. You see, here's the thing. You and I, we have a nature like Elijah's. It's a sin nature. It means we're born separated from God. But here's the thing. The righteous one, left heaven he was so righteous that he came and like we read in, in Hebrews he had all of the temptations that we have and yet he never failed he never sinned he was that righteous he went to the cross perfectly righteous but on that cross he traded his righteousness for my unrighteousness He exchanged His holiness for my corruption. And what He does in my life and in your life, when you're in Christ, is He takes your sin and He works it. He cleanses it. And in exchange, He transfers His holiness to you. So when the righteous judge looks at you, He doesn't see guilty, criminal... He sees perfect son, perfect daughter. He sees that you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he gives you grace and mercy. Remember, you aren't the righteous person. Jesus is the righteous person. So the prayer of you in christ as you are leaving yourself behind and becoming more and more like him the prayer of that righteous person jesus praying through you that's the thing that gives power maybe that's why jesus told his disciples you think i've done some great miracles you haven't seen anything yet you're going to do even greater things than these maybe that's why he told them look man you, you think I got power? Here's what you can do. If you got the faith of a mustard seed, you can speak to the mountain. Move. And the mountain will move. Dude, that's power. And that doesn't come from you. You can't earn it. You can't get your way there. You just have to repent and turn your life over to Christ and let him do the sanctifying work in your life. So you... Keep on praying. You're doing good. You keep on praying. Maybe you're not there yet. It's okay. I'm not there yet either. You keep on praying. You pray through that pain. You pray for your lost loved ones. You pray for that critical decision that you must make. You pray about your spouse. Pray for your kids. Pray about how you're going to spend your money. Pray about the schedule you got to keep. Pray about your worst fears and your deepest doubts. You keep praying because the more you pray, the more the righteous one prays through you. And the stronger and stronger you'll become. Prayer is the greatest gift that God's given us. It's warfare on our knees. And think about it. Warriors train and train and train. They sweat and bleed and almost die to learn how to fight. But you and I have been given a gift to win on our knees. That's why I heard someone say that Satan himself trembles when even the weakest Christian goes to their knees. You keep praying because I hear the rainstorm coming. Last blank on your page. You can pray like Elijah. You can. Amen.